Hello there. Welcome to the podcast that we call Frenchie, a show dedicated to the stories and legacies of the French-speaking Cajuns of World War II as told by the veterans themselves. I'm your host, Jason Theriot. For 20 years, I've been interviewing World War II veterans and capturing their personal stories. Many of these veterans, natives of the Bayou country in South Louisiana, were Cajuns, people of Acadian descent. They were the last generation to grow up speaking French as their first language. It is therefore imperative that we capture and document their stories and unique language for posterity. When the young Cajuns of World War II arrived in French-dominated territories like North Africa and Europe, their ability to speak French proved invaluable to military operations, and it had a profound impact on their sense of a Cajun identity. What emerged from this unique wartime experience was a long-lost pride in their heritage. When the U.S. military needed bilingual interpreters, they called on Frenchie to bridge the language gap. In this episode, we transition from the front lines to the high seas with stories from Cajuns who served in the Navy during World War II. I had the honor of interviewing several of these veterans over recent years, including Willis Granger, Jonas Perrin, Ovid Lanson, and James Warren David, who served as an official interpreter for a naval commander in the Mediterranean and in the Korean War. We start the program off with Willis Granger, who grew up in Lower Vermilion Parish in the village of Henry on a farm with a large family. He was one of 14 children. The Grangers grew corn, potatoes, cotton, and some sugarcane. Willis was notorious for his efficiency as a cane cutter. The family raised chickens and worked cattle for others. It was a hard life being reared on the farm out in the country, but the family always had plenty to eat including Willis's favorite, chicken and rice and gravy. This was not an uncommon upbringing for a young Cajun boy in the 1920s and 30s, but what was particularly remarkable about Willis Granger was that he never went to school a day in his life. As such, he never learned to speak English growing up. In fact, he did not learn English until he went into military service in World War II at the age of 21. Here's an excerpt from a 2019 interview with Willis Granger, who was 96 years old at the time. My name is Willis Granger. I don't know why I'm school, not a day. Did you, all you spoke was French? When did you learn to speak English? Well, I went in service. You didn't speak English until you were I went in grown? service for two years. Yeah. Uh, I don't regret <laughs> You don't regret it? No. I learned a lot of things. Imagine that. A hearty, young 21-year-old French-speaking Cajun from the farm is suddenly thrown into a completely new world in the U.S. military with other young men from across the country, and he could not speak English. Nor could he read. One wonders, how on earth did he get by? How did he respond to his superiors and officers aboard ship? It must have taken extraordinary courage and adaptability for him to get by as a French speaker in an English-only environment. In this next exchange, Willis discusses his language barrier issue in the Navy with Warren Perrin and other family participants. En commencement, comment ça a été avec les autres soldats qui parlaient pas français du tout, tous les Américains, 
Well, we had to go along with it. With them. Sarir de Twelve? No. Ah. Uh, Sarir de Twelve? They would laugh about it, make fun of it. Ça donnait des tinons comme un, 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 un français ou un wawaran ou un kunas ou des tinons. Non? C'était sérieux? Yeah. The Frenchie? Frenchie. They call you Frenchie? Yeah. Frenchie. Was that your nickname? T'avais un tinon? Un quoi? Un tinon. Un tinon. Tinon. To communicate with others and follow orders, Willis simply nodded or mimicked what the other fellows did, but he rarely spoke to them. So you had to live in barracks with all these English-speaking boys. How did you get along with them? Sign language? Tu parlais avec eux? Comment tu parlais avec eux? On va pas parler avec eux. You wouldn't speak to them. No. I suppose this is people that can speak French. What about the, the commanders when they would give you instructions and you didn't understand? Mm. How, how did you well, get by? Uh, I see the other, the other one do, do it. I do it with him. Okay, follow. Well, <laughs> follow the system. That's right. That's right, Dad. Makes good sense. Was there any other Frenchie from Louisiana in your group? Oh, yeah. There was others? My, you got none, almost none, didn't go to school, you see. Oh, I see. So, yeah. the others went to school, yeah. and he had the disadvantage of not having had any kind of education. They were able to have some, at least a minimum level of communications with the right. sounds. Yeah. Not having even a first grade education put him at a real disadvantage in terms of being able to communicate effectively in English. But... Somehow he was able to make do. Seaman First Class Willis Granger served on the USS Catoctin. He went aboard ship in March 1944 and sailed across the Atlantic Ocean to participate in the Mediterranean campaign. On the ship, he was assigned standard seaman duties, including cleaning the deck, painting, ship maintenance, and regular drills for general quarters. The food was plentiful, but there was no rice and gravy on board. The Catoctin was the flagship for the commander of the U.S. 8th Fleet. As such, several dignitaries visited naval commanders on board, including King George VI of Great Britain. The Catoctin became the flagship for Allied Naval Command during the crucial Battle of Southern France in August of 1944. It carried Secretary of Navy James Forrestal and several military commanders, including high-ranking officers of the French Navy. During this battle, the Catoctin served as the nerve center for communications among allies. As the only French-speaking American sailor on board, Seaman First Class Granger was asked to interpret. By then, he had learned to speak some broken English and was therefore able to bridge the language gap among the American and French commanders on his ship. Willis spent three years at sea, but perhaps his most memorable time in the Navy was when the Catoctin served as the host for President Roosevelt during the famous Yalta Conference 
in early 1945. He remembered seeing FDR at this historic meeting. He went, yeah, you know, he went, you see the president? Yeah. President Roosevelt? He was in a wheelchair? Yeah, he's asking Dad questions about the Did you see Roosevelt then? Did oh, you yeah. see him? Yeah. Was he in a wheelchair? Yeah. 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 Or he was yeah. on crutches? I don't know. Wheelchair. 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 Okay. So y'all y'all picked him up at a at a dock somewhere, at a port? By Roosevelt. Well he came at the the Nicole. And the car going uh right. And uh, they were on, I guess, the Black Sea, right? The Altus and the Black yeah. Sea. So I guess that was probably a safe place for him, to, given security. Yeah, him and... Roosevelt to stay. He stayed on the ship. Yeah. Yeah. And Churchill was with him? Yeah. Willis returned home in late 1947. He had been all over the world, and the war had changed him. He had seen many new places and learned many new things. He also learned to speak English. He settled down in the country in Henry, where he raised a family and started sharecropping. Later on, he and his brothers all worked at the Jefferson Island salt mine. In later years, he got involved in ranching and raising thoroughbred horses. Willis Granger lived a long, prosperous life out in the country, but that three-year stint on the high seas aboard the USS Catoctin was one of the more memorable and influential chapters in his life. He was always proud of his service to his country. Okay, let's go the book. That's it. He's exhausted, man. Willis Granger passed away in April 2020 at the age of 98. Warren Perrin, who is the founder of the Acadia Museum, one of the partners in the Frenchie podcast, had this to say about this local living legend and the role of the Granger family in the community. Mr. Granger is special because... He is the perfect representation of what it meant to leave Cajun country not being able to speak, read, or write the English language, and yet he managed to serve his country with great distinction in the United States Navy during World War II. The Granger family has a special place here in this museum as well, and certainly in Erath. Can you tell us a little bit about the association with the Granger family and the Acadian Museum here. Sure. When we started the museum, I approached Weldon Granger, uh, the son of Mr. Willis Granger, and asked him to uh, partner with me. And he had recently purchased the old Bank of Erath. And so that led to us forming the foundation, incorporating as a, a 503C nonprofit. And so Weldon has been the person that has provided the building for the development of our museum. And many members of his family have been very instrumental in helping us uh, develop this museum, both uh, providing artifacts, stories, but also a f major financial commitment by Weldon Granger. Up next is Jonas Perrin, another Cajun who served in the U.S. Navy aboard the USS Reno. 
Jonas was born and raised in Prairie Greg, a small community in Lower Vermilion Parish, not too far from where Willis Granger grew up. He too spoke only French as a youngster. Jonas recalled his first days of school under the newly implemented English-only educational system in Louisiana in the 1920s. And uh, the first day, I peed in my pants because I didn't know how to ask the teacher to go to the bathroom because I couldn't speak English. That's all we spoke was French. I never was punished. Uh, I think I, 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 I paid attention. Mm -hmm. I wasn't too hard-headed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I, I knew when I could speak French and when I could speak that I couldn't. But when we were playing, like we'd play marble and we'd talk French amongst us, you know. It would take a few years of schooling before he could speak English. And when his older brother died of a ruptured appendix, the younger parent was forced to take on more responsibilities. He realized quickly that learning to speak good English was important to his family. Even though about 90% of the people in his community spoke French as their first language, the age of progress and industrialization, primarily as a result of oil and gas development, rapidly Americanized this rural community of Cajuns. We felt that we had, I, I felt that we, I had to learn how to talk English and mm -hmm because that was minimal education, mm -hmm. and I wanted, to, I wanted to, to learn something, you know. Jonas's father was a farmer and a justice of the peace. His mother was a seamstress. And like most Cajuns in Lower Vermilion Parish, his family had ancestral ties to Joseph Beausoleil Broussard, who was considered to be a founding father of the Acadians who came to Louisiana in the 1760s. Interestingly enough, the Perrin family had some knowledge of its Acadian ancestry and taught this history to Jonas and his siblings. We knew where we came from, that's about all. And where was that? Well, we knew that we came from Canada, that, that the, 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 the Queen of England had expropriated us, our, our ancestors. Jonas was 15 years old when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. He had friends and relatives who joined the Army right away and wrote letters home about camping out in the woods in North Louisiana in the freezing cold during the early military maneuvers. Jonas had other ideas. After graduation, he decided to join the U.S. Navy for one simple reason. Having my, 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 my lunch and my bed with me. Following basic training in California, he was shipped to Hawaii to receive further orders. He spent a few weeks there living in barracks, awaiting his assignment to a Navy ship. While there, he ran into a fellow Cajun from Erath, whose last name was Gidry. They visited and shared some pineapples together on the railroad tracks, of course, speaking Cajun French to each other. He also ran into a fellow classmate while in Hawaii. Another time I went on Liberty, and then I heard a fella hollering at me. Hey, Perrin! Hey, Perrin! And man, I kept looking around. Hey, he, could. he was across the street over there. After a while, I see a fella coming, and I saw him. 
Je moet een klas meer doen. Al dan wel blank, schoonlijk blank. Boy, we took our picture together and boy, we celebrated. Yeah. There are many stories and letters of the Cajuns in the Navy running into fellow French speakers in various places throughout the Pacific and aboard Navy ships. And invariably, these Cajuns always reverted back to speaking their native language to one another. Academics might refer to this phenomenon as cultural or ethnic expression. But for the young Cajuns, meeting unexpectedly in these faraway places, it was simply instinctive to speak Cajun French to one another. There are numerous examples of this in wartime letters. A Cajun in the Navy, writing to his friend's mother in Kaplan, Louisiana, wrote about how he and her son talked in Cajun French for hours on end while standing watch aboard ship. We have quite a few French conversations and enjoy it, he said. It sure takes me back to the good old days back home. I'm just another Cajun from a small town called St. James in good old Louisiana. Clayton Battle from Brobridge, Louisiana, wrote in 1944 from the South Pacific that he met up with his friend Joe Terrio on the street. We went out and had a very good time together, talking in that good old French lingo upon the good times we used to have back home, he said. Anthony Roberts, a Cajun from the Tesh area, was stationed in the Pacific and wrote home in 1943 that he met up with six local boys. That Cajun French, he said really flew fast and furious for a while. Ovid Lanson, another French-speaking Cajun in the Navy, who was raised on a plantation in Iberia Parish near the town of Lydia, had a similar experience on board his ship, the USS Ranger. One of his shipmates was a Falcone from Rain, Louisiana, and the two often talked in their native Cajun French language. Well, at that time, we was all about the same age, so we all... Uh, we all got uh, inducted out of New Orleans, you know, so, mm. so, so we, we knew our group, so we all went to boot camp together. So most of us kind of stayed together. Mm. But, but, but we had that thing when, when you couldn't, say what you wanted, and you said, well, you know. <laughs> so, so that's how we got by. But the real French, I know some words, but the Cajun French, you know, I'm, I, well, I'm still not talking French with nobody. Uh, even our family, you know, uh, well, we only three of us left, you know. We talk English, and that's the way. But why would you and the guy from Rain talk French to each other on the boat when it's all mostly English-speaking guys? Well, you could, on the boat, you could, I mean, any language, you know, uh, in the service, you could speak whatever you wanted to, you know. It's at school that we were restricted, yeah. you know. So why would y'all speak in French, though, with each other? Well, just, well, you just had that, that urge, you know, all your life just spoke French, and that's what they know, you, you, you where nobody speaks French. 
So you kind of missed it. And whenever you heard somebody speak French, you wanted to speak French. So, and, and after years, well then you, you know, you just give it up. Jonas Perrin, who had the occasion to speak French with other Navy men, said it was an automatic impulse for Cajuns to shift to their native language when given the opportunity, especially after being away from home for so long. Jonas served on the USS Reno in the Pacific. Interestingly enough, he wasn't the only Francophone aboard ship. There were two other Acadians from Maine who spoke French as well. In this next excerpt, Jonas tells the story of how he befriended these fellow French speakers on board the Reno. Il avions des des fonds de paper, we get that in the mail, and it was in French. Ça fait je connaissais ça, ça fait qu'on était sur watch. On avait des earphones et quand il y en avait un, avait des earphones. Il disait hey monsieur comment ça va? And he look around. <laughs> And that's the only two people I know until I got back to New Orleans at the Navy base. Jonas was a gunner on the USS Reno. His ship participated in various engagements in the Pacific Theater, including the Battle of the Philippine Sea, which was an overwhelming victory for American naval forces. The Reno also saw action in Saipan, Guam, and Palau, and fought at the Battle of Leyte Gulf near the Philippine Islands. During that famous battle, the Reno provided assistance to the USS Princeton, which had caught fire after being hit several times by aerial bombers and could not be saved. In November 1944, the Reno suffered a series of torpedo attacks from Japanese submarines that caused severe damage and several fatalities aboard. After the war, Jonas went to work for the oil field and spent much of his career working on offshore platforms. Interestingly enough, Jonas and his wife continued to speak French throughout their married life and even taught their children to speak fluent French at home. In the oil field, Jonas was constantly surrounded by Cajuns, and so his French continued to be an asset. Warren David from Youngsville, Louisiana, had a long career as a naval officer riding the high seas across the globe. Like many, he grew up in a French-dominated community where learning to speak English had its challenges. The most, the most difficult was at home. Mm -hmm. uh, the old folks would only speak French. My grandmother didn't speak English. Period. She, when the telephone was put in, she would answer the phone and say, "Hello," and that was it. Boy, <laughs> you, you better come across with French. That was it, mm -hmm. and then she'd hung up. Uh, but uh, like I said, 95% of growing up, at least, was French, Cajun French, not good, not Parisian mm -hmm. French. Uh, later on, when when the Things got 
a little better. The high school started to teach French, but Parisian French, book French. Right. Otherwise, and I have I have the book. I I I still I still check it. I have a Cajun French book right there. That Cajun French came in handy throughout his career in the Navy. Like so many others, he had the occasion to speak French to others while stationed in faraway places during the war. In the early 1950s, while serving on a ship in the Mediterranean during the Korean War, Warren was asked to be an official translator for an admiral on various meetings, dinners, and festivals with other French dignitaries in other countries. He recalled his initial interview to be a translator for Rear Admiral Asti, commander of the U.S. Sixth Fleet. He said, David, he says it's David, isn't it? Because he had been around New Orleans. I said, yeah. I says, they call me David. But not not uh, here. He says, uh, "How much French do you know?" I says, "Cajun French, with a little Parisian, you know, book learning." He says, "Well, look, I want you to go get in the. We're gonna." I want you to help me out whenever I go and I need a little help. He said, you got a tuxedo? I said, no. He says, I'll get you one. Okay. Got, got a, got a guy to come, French, uh, uh, what do you call make suits. Mm -hmm. Came over, measured, got me a suit, got me a tux. Nice. Yeah. We went to baseball games. We went to racetrack, big festivals, you know, things like that. And I was always behind him. Then I would meet my counterpart, French Admiral's boy. I'd get a lot of information from him. He'd tell me because most of them can speak English. Mm -hmm. So he would prompt me when I'd get into a little trouble, you know. <laughs> but I managed very well considering, you know. Like going, go, he loved horses. He loved, there was a railroad track, there was a track in Algiers, and we spent a little time about a week there, I remember, and uh, uh, there was a race in, in uh, all from Villefranche. We used to park in the cove at Villefranche, near Nice, okay. and uh, Monte Carlo, and. Uh, uh, he, uh, I did, I did fairly well, considering, and he like that. He, uh, he, uh, he did well. 
with, with me, you know. Warren David passed away in July of 2020, about six months after this interview. His obituary noted that he was extremely proud of his Cajun heritage. He traveled on Acadiana's first honor flight to Washington, D.C. He also joined fellow Cajuns and traveled to Nova Scotia to honor the land where the Cajuns originally settled. This concludes this episode of the Frenchie Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Terrio. Join us for more of the fascinating stories of the French-speaking Cajuns of World War II as told by the veterans themselves. These interviews are part of the Jason Terrio World War II Oral History Collection housed at the Center for Louisiana Studies on the campus of the University of Louisiana Lafayette. To listen to the full, unedited versions of more than 150 interviews, visit the Center for more. Music provided by Josh Caffrey and Chris Segura. Audio editing done by Chris Segura. Special thanks to the Acadian Museum in Erath, Louisiana, and to the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area for its general support of this program.